Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. I'm Lawanda Tony, And I'm Helen Westmoreland, and you're listening to our mini-series focused entirely on our family's mental health and well-being. And we are still here bringing you lots of tips and strategies and information for you as a parent. That's right, Helen. We really appreciate the opportunity to do this deep dive because we want to reduce the stigma around mental health issues and encourage families to feel comfortable starting these dialogues. So today's show is a little different. Listeners, before we get started, we want you to take a little pause and get your kids in the room with you because we have an incredibly awesome and famous author <laughs> and connector with young people with us today. That is Allison Raskin. She is a podcaster, mental health advocate, and we are super excited to have you on the show, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so listeners, as your kids may already know, Allison is an author, actress, director, co-creator of the YouTube channel and podcast Just Between Us with her comedy partner, Gabby Dunn. Allison has also co-authored two young adult novels and bestsellers, I Hate Everyone But You, and the sequel, Please Send Help. She's currently working towards her master's degree in clinical psychology at Pepperdine. Thank you so much for thinking of me. And I really think it's so great to approach mental health from a family point of view, because it really does affect the whole family when someone is suffering. Yeah. So could you talk to our listeners, particularly our grown up listeners a little bit? How have you had your own mental health journey? And when did you start identifying as a mental health advocate? Yeah. So for me, I actually was diagnosed with OCD when I was four years old. So while I don't remember a lot of it, my parents sure do. And they really stepped in and recognized immediately that something was really wrong and they got me the help that I needed. And I talk about this a lot, but I think with children, a lot of times there's this belief that, oh, what do you have to worry about? So sometimes these kids are suffering and there's biological reasons for mental illness as much as there's psychological and cultural and social issues as well. So some kids are just more biologically predisposed. So even if they're growing up in like a super happy, healthy home, for me, I had strep throat, which activated my OCD. It's called pandas, if you want to give that a Google. So my parents took it really seriously, and I'm really glad that they did. And a lot of the mental health advocacy I try to do is aimed at paying attention to what your kids are telling you, noticing changes in their behavior, and not just saying, oh, well, they're just acting up or they can't really have problems. They're five. Because when it's biological, it's real. And also a lot of times kids are experiencing potentially trauma that you're not aware of outside of the home that is causing things to happen. My initial intention with my career was to be a screenwriter. I went to USC film school for a screenwriting degree. And then I started making stuff online. And as I just started talking about my own journey with OCD, I realized that so many people resonated with that, that there wasn't necessarily as much content out there about just the day-to-day -day struggle of it all. So over the last few years, I've really been shifting from more of just a narrative fiction screenwriter, author, to much more in the mental health space. And part of that was the decision to go back to school to get a degree in clinical psychology, just so that I can continue to write and talk about all of this stuff, but from an even more informed point of view. That's really great. You have that ability to bring light to what some people may say a dark subject area. Why is that so important to you? 
I just think that it's part of life. While we're struggling, we're also going to work. We're also forming relationships. We're having friendships. We're having fun. You know, there's obviously times in people's lives where they're really low functioning because their disorders are really getting in the way of their everyday life. But for a lot of people, it's a balance and it's not all consuming. It's probably more consuming than you would like it to be. And I think to be able to just talk about it as a component of life versus this deep, dark secret that we can only speak about in hushed tones, I think, like you said at the beginning of the show, really helps destigmatize it all. Yeah. I'm curious your perspective on why that stigma exists and if it's changed at all. I can only speak from my perspective, but it feels like in the past 10 years, everyone I know is in therapy, right? What is your perspective on if things are changing and where they are overall as a country talking about mental health? I think we're making great strides. I think that the younger generation, Gen Z, is so much more comfortable talking about it. I think that now saying you go to therapy is a sign that you're taking care of yourself versus that something is quote unquote wrong with you. I think that the internet has probably helped a lot in terms of people feeling more comfortable talking about things than they would face-to-face. I think people who are someone like Demi Lovato being more open about the struggles that she deals with. Also, Michael Phelps, just celebrities being more comfortable talking about it. But I also really think that while there has been so much good momentum, it has still very much been within the anxiety, depression, maybe OCD sphere, whereas there's still so much stigma involving other disorders like mood disorders and anything involving psychosis. So obviously one of my goals and hopes is that it all gets talked about more freely and that there's better understanding of what it means to be schizophrenic and bipolar and all of these other disorders that I think still have more stigma than when your friend says, oh, I'm going to therapy because I have anxiety. I think that's so true on a personal note. So my brother suffers from schizophrenia and my mom and I at different points as family members, like the general population is so scared Mm -hmm. of that disease. Yeah. And I think it's then really hard for people if they do get that diagnosis to not feel, oh, I can't tell anyone about this or I have to keep this to myself or my life's now over. And a lot of that is the media portrayals. We don't have good media portrayals of schizophrenia or even bipolar disorder. And this idea that schizophrenic people are dangerous is not really true. I think that only is really a factor if someone is a paranoid schizophrenic and that's because they think that their life is in danger. It's very different than I think how people perceive it. So hopefully they'll just be more and better psychoeducation around all mental illness moving forward. Yeah, I agree. We know a lot of your audience tends to be young adults. Mm -hmm. So if they are struggling with mental illness or have some mental health struggles, what advice do you give them to be able to talk to their family, talk to their parents about that? You know, I think it's really difficult because I think mental illness is dealt with differently depending on what cultural background you're coming from. So I think there has to be an awareness of that. We get a lot of emails and messages from listeners who feel really frustrated that their families won't take their struggles seriously. And I completely get that. And I'm so thankful every day that my parents took mine seriously. But I think there can be a really helpful reframe in a way of the fact that just recognizing that potentially based on the way that your parents grew up, they were just not exposed to Mm -hmm. this. The messaging that they received around mental illness was not accurate. It was harmful. 
in some cultures, it's like, well, we take care of our own. We don't need to go to a professional for this kind of thing. So it's not really just your mom being like, I don't believe you. It's 40 years of your mom being indoctrinated Mm -hmm. into this type of thinking. So I think giving them the grace to have an adjustment period, Mm -hmm. potentially giving them some of their own education, bringing to them books or websites, podcasts like this, and being like, I hear where you're coming from and I understand why you think that, but please just for me, would you be willing to just explore it from this point of view? And then also being able to have that both and of like, I understand that they think that way. And I also understand that that way of thinking isn't serving me and I need to get help. And I need to maybe do things differently than my parents' generation did. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I also think that for some generations, it's built in guilt, too, because Mm -hmm. if they have to address that there is a struggle, then what did I do wrong Mm -hmm. as a parent? Like, did I give them this? Was it a birth defect? They feel responsible. So being able to separate that is also super important. Definitely. Just going back for some people, it's pretty biological. And also in the way that my mom has bad knees. Guess what? I have bad knees. There is a genetic component. There is intergenerational trauma. Maybe there is some cause and effect, but that doesn't mean you are a bad parent. That's just life. That's just having children. Exactly. It's like, I remember you were on a podcast and you mentioned if someone had type one diabetes and they had to get insulin, no one questions that. But if you had a mental illness where you needed medicine, then there's a stigma around that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to blame the parent because the kid has type one diabetes if the parent also has type one diabetes. Do you know what I mean? We're all connected. And I think especially in this country, there is a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. that I think can be passed on. And that's not the parent's fault. That's society's fault. So hopefully we can start approaching things through a more trauma-informed lens and have these interventions with children sooner. And COVID is a community trauma. It's a shared trauma. And seeing it as such and approaching it as such versus being like, no, everything's fine. We'll just bounce back. It's no big deal. My kid will get over it. My kid won't even remember this. (laughs) It's okay to be like, yeah, this is trauma. And now how do we heal from it collectively and as a family? I think what you're saying is so true because it also gets at this, like, there is a cultural thread that runs through America around pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Everything's okay. Shake it off. For me, I've really recently learned how to be much more comfortable asking for help. I was always pretty comfortable asking my family, but I was not super comfortable asking my friends for help. And I just had some incidents in my life recently where My fiance abruptly left me in November and I was like, oh no, my life is falling apart. And I had to quickly go home to New York and then have my friend come check on my apartment and send me mail and like do all these things that I would not have normally felt comfortable asking her to do for me. But then I was like, oh, this is such a better way to live. It is so much better and healthier to just actually rely on our support systems and to let them know, hey, I'm not doing well right now. Is there any way you're already going to the grocery store? Could you just pick me up some groceries? Mm -hmm. And just getting to a point of feeling more comfortable with that and really putting energy into feeling like you're part of a community and that there's a give and take in a community. And sometimes it's okay to take a little bit more when you need a little bit more. And then when you have the resources, you give a little bit more and not just completely 
judging your self-worth on like, well, I did it by myself. I was suffering Mm -hmm. the whole time, but I did it by myself. (laughs) One of the things my psychiatrist has said that I love is she's like, there's no reason to white knuckle your way through life. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's this sense, oh, I'm able to do it. So therefore, I don't need to get that additional help or I don't need to take that mental health day or I don't need to try medication or I don't need to tell people that they're asking too much of me because I can do it. But doing it and then enjoying your life are two very different things. Right. You talked about getting emotional support and you created and launched this new social media presence and online community called Emotional Support Lady. I love that name. (laughs) I think it's awesome. (laughs) Tell us more about that and how it connects to your mental health advocacy work. Yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter and everything, but they're a personal account. So it's a mix of all sorts of things. So Being back in school, I wanted to have a place that was just for mental health Mm -hmm. information. I wanted a community where I could talk about what I was learning in school, talk about what I've just learned in my own mental health journey, a safe space for people to talk to each other about what they're going Mm -hmm. through. So I decided to create a mental health focused Instagram, like you said, in October of 2020. And then happenstance, my ex-fiance left me in November, just like a couple of weeks after And it was this kismet thing where I was like, well, I've started this account. People have gotten used to me posting regularly on it. I also don't feel like I can post on this and not talk about this huge thing that is going on in my life. So then the account became this place, in addition to just general mental health information and posts to be processing my grief and my healing from this abandonment. And I honestly think that that's what helped grow it in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think heartbreak is a trauma. It is. A universal one. Yes, very much so. And Mm -hmm. also the trauma of how suddenly it happened and me not having any control over this huge change that happened in my life. Mm -hmm. So I was documenting how I was feeling, how I was coping. And so many people shared so many similar stories Mm -hmm. with me. And then I also launched a Patreon for Emotional Support Lady, which is additional content if you subscribe monthly. So there's a weekly blog on there. There's also videos twice a month where I interview someone, either like a mental health professional or someone who talks about their own mental health journey. And there's a community there so people can talk there. And it's just been amazing. It's slowly growing, but just the community that already exists there is probably one of the things I'm most proud of that I've done. That's very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And that's a great resource too for our listeners if they want to go and learn more or their kids, right? So Allison, I know on Just Between Us, you and Gabby frequently start your shows with a hypothetical question. (laughs) And we've got a few scenarios of our own. If you're interested in (laughs) playing along, we talked to some parents and reached out to our network. So we tried to condense them into a few things. And I think we'll put our appropriate caveat that this is not official therapeutic advice, but we'd love to get your thoughts. You gave Okay, great. I'm in the hot seat for once. Yeah. <laughs> so one is from a mom. I am a mom of an 11-year-old who was recently diagnosed with OCD. And she doesn't want to tell anyone, any of her friends or the rest of the family. I'm trying to follow her lead, but I really wish that she would be more comfortable sharing it because it's a lot for her to carry and for us as a family. How can I, should I support her with this new diagnosis? 
That's such an interesting question. I think it would be really helpful for her to see other people actively talking about having it. My content is maybe not meant for 11-year-olds, but I think that there is definitely some stuff I've done and written that is totally 11-year-old appropriate. (laughs) But I think just seeing people that are living full lives and having successful lives who also have OCD, Mm. so many successful people have OCD. People who have changed the world have had OCD. So I think maybe sitting with Mm. her and maybe having a little OCD party of going through all the different people who've impacted the world in amazing ways. I think on YouTube and online, there's going to be some younger people who talk about it and are open about it. And I don't think there's any need to really rush her, but I think that the more that she's aware how common a disorder that this is and how it doesn't need to be a source of shame. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to talk about it the way you would talk about, oh yeah, we've got to go to PT, not Mm -hmm. talking about it like this, this big heavy thing, but just this thing we have to address in your life. And it sucks and it's annoying. And obviously we wish you didn't have it because nobody wants to be sick, but we're going to deal with it and it's not going to control you. It's not all of you. And also for me, separating out that this does not define you, that this is an illness. And mental illness is tricky because it impacts your personality in ways that maybe physical illnesses do not. Mm -hmm. But you are different than your disorder. You have OCD. You are not OCD. So I think even choosing your words correctly helps a lot. I think just exposure to how widespread this thing is and how many people are living and flourishing with it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully slowly over time, she'll become more comfortable. Yeah, that is great advice. Okay. Are you game for another one? Oh, yeah. I could do this all day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. It says, I'm a 16-year-old, and recently my parents and I talked about my anxiety, and I started seeing a therapist. I'm glad they want to normalize talking about these issues, but now they ask me about my feelings all the time, and it's really (laughs) awkward. What should I do? Look, I think it's one of those things where it's like, so you've opened this door and then it's how much do you talk about it? I think it's like anything else. It's a balance. So I think when you're in the mood to talk about it or when you're going through something, then it's amazing that you have your parents as this resource. But I think you're also allowed to say, I'm fine right now. I just want to watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) Making sure that it doesn't take over your whole life and that it isn't the only way that you feel the only thing you're communicating with them about. But I think gratitude might really help. Mm -hmm. Just the gratitude of the There are so many kids out there that parents wouldn't do this, who wouldn't let them go to therapy, who wouldn't be open to talking about this. And just recognizing, I know it's hard when we're younger, but recognizing that our parents are people too, Mm -hmm. and that they're doing their best and that this is an adjustment period for everybody and that you guys will probably find your footing. There might just need to be some communication of... I'll let you know if I need to talk about this or (laughs) maybe setting up weekly check-ins versus eight check-ins a day and just allowing that they're trying too. They don't know all the answers. Just like you don't know all the answers. But the fact that they're trying is so wonderful. We don't know all the answers. We try. We don't. But yeah, I agree with you totally because I can totally see myself being that parent. Are you okay? You want to talk about it? What happened at school today? I noticed you didn't eat all your that? food. Something right. Wrong? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not doing it on purpose. Just right. making sure that everything's okay. So I'm glad you said that. And if Caleb ever tells me, shut it down, I will remember this and shut it all the way down. Okay. The last one. I'm a dad of twin 10-year-old girls. And my 
brother has been struggling with bipolar disorder. I don't want my twins to feel overwhelmed by this, but I don't want to hide it. How do I talk to them? Also curious, Allison, like what is the right age? So I have a almost three-year-old at home. And part of the reason I wanted this scenario was because my mom and I have been trying to figure out how do we talk to her about my brother? Such a good question. I think it's less about the specifics of the disorder and more about the empathy. Mm-hmm. So just teaching them that this person that we love is sick and that sickness shows itself in ways that maybe we're not used to, just like we had to visit grandma at the hospital or some reference point, but we love them, we care for them, and just like we would love you and care for you if you ever got sick. Obviously, every kid is at a different level developmentally in terms of what they're going to comprehend and not comprehend about mania versus all these things. But I think just the approach of like, look, uncle... Steve is not feeling well lately. So that's why I have to go and spend some more time with Uncle Steve. But he loves you. I love you. And this is what families do. Families take care of each other. And just like we would take care of you no matter what. And putting it in that light, I think, Mm -hmm. of keeping it to just they're struggling, but we're going to be there for them. And then I think that that makes it less scary. It's more about your tone. I think that's so true. The kids pick up on that. If you're like, this is normal and this is what we do and we care about them as opposed to we don't want to scare you. But right. right. <laughs> okay, totally. you just scared me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all about the normalizing it, right? Because yeah. we're not taught to fear things unless someone says, oh, be afraid of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I like that. That's great. Okay. So you did awesome on our scenario. Okay. <laughs> just to be clear. You're really good. Yeah, I did okay. Got a good score. <laughs> yes. Grade A from here. <laughs> Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. (laughs) We've really enjoyed hearing your perspective. And I know I've learned so much from you. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. My mom's going to be so proud of me that I did this. (laughs) (laughs) So before we wrap up, are there any resources available that you might suggest to our listeners? I think there's just so much out there. The International OCD Foundation is a great resource it can be really hard to find the right therapist. So there's some resources online like inclusivetherapists.com that is about matching the right therapist with you in terms of your cultural background and what you're looking for. And there's also online resources like BetterHelp where you can get connected with a therapist pretty immediately, which is really nice because I know, especially right now, a lot of therapists are pretty slammed and don't have a lot of availability. And then on my end, if you would like to follow at Emotional Support Lady on Instagram or the Patreon page, don't be afraid to look for resources and help because there's a lot available to you when you put in the time to look. Thank you. And to those of you listening at home, thank you for joining us. For more resources related to today's episode, check out notesfromthebackpack.com. We also want to share with you, National PTA has created a mental health resource webpage for parents, students, and educators. Learn more at pta.org slash healthy minds. If you're listening and you enjoyed today's episode, we want to encourage you to leave us a review and a rating. We read those. They are very valuable to us and it helps us continue to bring you some good stuff. So thanks all for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. 
Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpack notes. <laughs>